Okay, let's go ahead and open with prayer for this message. We're going to be in Joshua 24 to start with. Lord, we just thank you today. We thank you for your love, your kindness, your your mercy. That you love us so much you sent your son to die for us so that we would have an opportunity to come to heaven. And we thank you for that. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we open the word in your son's name. Amen. Joshua 24 verses 14 and 15 to start with, and then we're going to go to Romans. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods of your father that your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then Romans 8, starting at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? So persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. When I look at these things, I've been thinking a lot lately about what's coming probably in the near future. We're at the end days, and I think we're a lot closer than a lot of us want to think we are, and there's going to be a lot of troubles and trials coming at us. And I've been thinking as I'm looking at different things, you know, God always moves before great problems. And we've seen it over and over in history. He moves. Are we ready for his moving? And I've been thinking about this a lot. Are we fully dedicated to God? And when I say that, uh, we showed this last, sun, this last Friday the movie Woodlawn. And the movie was good, but you know the true story is even better than what the movie starts out as. It starts out with the students at that school, namely the cheerleaders, coming to Christ and praying for revival in their school. And then this man from Christian Athletics, uh, Christian Fellowship of Christ, <laughs> comes over, gives a message to the football team, and all the three of the football players and their coach convert to Christ. <laughs> Then it goes on in the story how prayer sessions in a public school start breaking out. The students lead prayer sessions and have them for days at a time praying for the school, praying for the work that God's doing. There's a story about this teacher who says she was an atheist when she started down the steps and was a Christian by the time she got to the bottom of the step because of all the different people praying on the stairs and talking to her. Are we leading lives, are we ready to lead lives 
that are going to drive change. How committed to God are we? One of the lines in the movie that I loved is, and God showed up. <laughs> Do you realize all through history it is, and God showed up? The Jews in, in Egypt praying for delivery from Egypt, and God shows up by sending Moses. You read through the book of Judges where the people start doing what's right in their own eyes and, and being judged, and they pray, and God shows up with a judge to deliver. The Jews in Jesus' day were so far from even their own practices, and God shows up. I, want to make, I would love to see God show up here today in our church and be taken out. But that's going to depend on us. This is going to be a very different message than I usually give because this is a challenge because it's on my heart to challenge us. Where is God in your life? Is he just your savior? He's my ticket to heaven. Well, if that's all you want, you're leading a very deficient life. He wants to be everything. He wants to be our Lord and our Master. Talking to a young man, and he was saying he doesn't feel like giving up his own control of his life. And I asked, even to God, and he goes, I don't want to give up control of my life. There's a lot of people out there that are like that. There are a lot of Christians that are like that. Or at least they say they're Christians. They don't want to give up control. One of the things I have found is the more control I give up, the better things are. I love looking around me, and as Romans said here, uh, for verse 36 says, And it is written, For their sake we are killed, for your sake we are killed all the day. We are counted as sheep led to the slaughter. Yea, in all things we are more than conquerors. How many times do we look around us and we see what we think are bad things happening? And we're going, God, you must be out of control. I mean, you must have lost control somewhere because look at all the bad things. Do you realize that even when things are going on bad, God is still in control? He is in control, and he has some reason. And you know what? He's under no obligation to tell us what the reason is for those bad things are, or what we think are bad things happening to us. Usually, if you walk with God long enough, you look back on the bad things and say, wow, they weren't really that bad. Sometimes we look at it and say, boy, it was really good that I went through that, even though at the time you go through it, it looks bad. Sometimes they're just to prepare you for something worse later on. <laughs> but even in that, it was a good thing to go through that before you went through something even harder. So the question I'm having for us is, how important is God in our life? Is he the most important person in your life? How easy is it for you to stay away from your Bible on a day and not read it? How easy is it for you not to come to a church service? How easy is it not to, to talk with other people about Jesus? 
How easy is it for God to open a door real wide for you to be able to say something about the gospel and not say something to that person? I'm guilty of most of these things myself, as well as this. But we need to look and say, how important is God? Are we going to let him be Lord and Savior? The second great awakening in America started through prayer for the church to start seeking after God. God changed lives. You know, when God changes lives, people notice he notices, people notice when your life changes, especially when it's God who does it. When all of a sudden your language cleans up and you're not cursing and swearing. You're not belittling people in other people's presence. You're building people up and lifting them up. People notice. And eventually they're going to want to know why. Because it's easy for us as people to, to badmouth people, isn't it? How often have you found yourself in the middle of a conversation realizing that all of a sudden you're bad-mouthing somebody who really doesn't deserve it? Or even if they do deserve it, they still don't deserve it. But you find yourself bad-mouthing somebody. Our flesh relishes that activity, which is why we do it so easily. This is why James said, if anybody controls their tongue, they're a perfect person. But you know, we cannot control our tongues in the flesh. It is too easy to fall into the flesh and, and attack and say wrong things. It takes God coming into our life, crucifying our flesh, and him changing who we are. And then he living out of us. My challenge for us today is, how much are we going to grab hold of God? Are we going to let him come into our life and crucify us? and be our Lord and Master. When we read that we're supposed to be kind one to another, love one another. Now, when we say be kind and love one another, that does not mean we're going to tolerate sin in people's lives. Because that's not love. You know, the world will tell you that you know, disciplining your child, is you're not loving them, but I would, God tells you it's exactly opposite. We discipline our children so that they learn to live the way God wants them to learn to live. And if you don't discipline a child, they become a spoiled, rotten brat that nobody wants to be around. And God is not wanting his children in the, in the church to be spoiled, rotten brats that totally disobey him. He's looking for people who are challenged. Now, you can challenge people in, in, in love. And we shared this a couple weeks ago. If you love somebody, you're going to pray for them. Most of the time, if you start praying for them, they're going to change. If they don't, after you've been praying for them, then God may say, okay, now you're going to come in and say something lovingly to them. And that doesn't mean you come in attacking them. You come in with great concern. I've noticed that you've been doing this, and I'm really concerned. I've been praying for you. God does not want us to live that way. Or you come in, you, you dirty, rotten, stinking sinner, you know what, you, know, you better get your act right because you're a terrible example. Both say the same thing, but there's a whole different way that it comes across, isn't it? Everybody's laughing at me on that second one, but you know, too often we do that second one when we're trying to go to somebody. And we might not be quite that harsh on them, but we're also not being loving, not being all that kind. God's wanting us to love them, give them grace. 
just as he gives us grace. The greatest thing about Christianity is God says, I've done all the work. He's done the work. Jesus came to this world to die for our sins. Because God knew we couldn't do it. The wages of sin, singular, is death. Adam and Eve committed one sin, eating the fruit that God told them not to eat, and brought death into all of humanity, brought sin into all of humanity. And you know, we cannot do things God's way in our own strength. We might be able to get and discipline our flesh and put it back into a corner and, and make it behave for a little while. But as soon as you turn your back on your flesh, it's going to attack, and it will attack with a vengeance. Um, I think about uh, Siegfried and Roy, who got attacked by his own big cats when he turned his back and forgot what he was doing and got mauled. That is really the way our flesh is. We can get our flesh stuck in a corner, tamed, quote unquote, to, to do things God's way. Turn your back on the flesh and it'll come back with a vengeance because it does not want to be tamed, which is why God says it needs to be crucified. Our flesh must be crucified for us to live the way that God wants us to live. And once it's crucified and God's living in us, changing us, we start becoming who he is. This is why it's important that he becomes our Lord and our Savior. He comes in, he fills us. He fills us so full that he starts splashing out all over every place. You pass it along by everybody and you, you get this picture of the spiritual world that God's just splashing out. You're, you're taking a step and God's splashing out all over the place. Have you ever had somebody get mad at, with, at you just when you showed up? You didn't even say anything about God? You just showed up and you brought God's presence into the situation and they got convicted? We are his children. When our flesh has been crucified and we walk in, we bring God into the situation. And we don't even have to say anything and the conviction comes. We need to make a commitment to live that kind of a life. Are we going to fail? Unfortunately, yes. But when we bring God in, people are going to see the difference. They're going to wonder why. I used to get that question all the time. How can you smile all the time? How can you be peaceful all the time? How can you not be jumping up and, and, and attacking these people all the time? How can you be forgiving? How can you stay calm? Because of Christ being in the situation. We bring God in. We need to make that decision that he is number one in our life. God has, wants to be in, in this place. He wants to be in us as we go out into chloride and everywhere else that we go. He wants to be in us as we go out to places of work, when we go visit the doctors, when we go, go shopping. God wants to be there. He wants to show people who he is. And we can see a revival. But even beyond that, we need to be ready. Things are going to get tough. And it's been on my heart that things are going to get tougher sooner than most of us expect them to. We need to be ready. We need to be made a decision. I'm going to follow God no matter what. I'm going to serve God no matter what. Because it's going to get difficult. 
We're in a world where if you call homosexuality a sin, the world looks at you as, as enemy number one. If you call this transgender bills that are trying to be passed, where anybody can go into whatever bathroom they feel like going into, and you call that a sin and a wrong idea, we're public enemy number one. What do they do to public enemy number one? They come and get you eventually. Christians who believe in the Bible are very soon going to be public enemy number one in this country and world. We need to make a decision. Are we going to serve God at any cost and be ready to stand? The disciples had decided we're going to serve God at any cost. They all paid with martyrdom except for John, and it wasn't from lack of trying that John didn't die. When they tried to poison him and boil him in oil and put him on an criminally insane island where they were hoping the inmates would kill him, and God protected him out of all of those things. It wasn't from lack of trying that he didn't die. Millions of Christians in the, in the Roman Empire died because they would not say that Caesar was Lord. And then you say, well, wait, what would be the big deal? Because it said that he was above God. There were many that said that, went ahead and said Caesar was Lord just so they didn't die. Millions of Christians are dying today, every year, because they won't reject God. It's coming. We need to prepare. Is God number one? Is he going to be number one in your life? It's a decision you need to make between you and God because things are going to get hard. There's going to be decisions we have to make or say, are we going to agree with the world when they say sin is, is good or are we going to agree with God? And I can guarantee because there's so many denominations that are quote-unquote Christian denominations that are agreeing with the world that it's going to be hard when we as Christians say, no, it's sin. God says it's sin. And they're going to go, well, this group's okay with it. This group's okay with it. And I'm going, well, this book, this book isn't okay with it. And I'm going to hold on to this book. We need to make that decision. We need to be ready for that decision because God says nothing can separate us from him. No. Nothing will separate us from him. And I've said this many times, you know, I've, all the time I tell people, the worst they can do to us is almost kill us. Because if they kill us, we go home. What they did to the disciples even before the, the martyrdoms, they took them and they beat them. And even as we say that, we think, oh, okay, they were beat, big deal. No, they were scourged. <laughs> which meant the flesh on their body was ripped from their body with the cat of nine tails. And they would sit in the very nice clean dungeons that they had in those days with the straw and the excrement and the rats and mice and the fleas and everything else you could picture in there praising God saying thank you that I was worthy of suffering be sent out have the salve put on their wounds and go right back out the next day to preach the gospel how many of us would give up when we get scourged and say, this isn't the gospel that I signed up for. It's the sad thing about this gospel in America, primarily, but in all the Western civilization, that it's, you know, 
get saved and everything's going to be good. God's going to answer all your problems. Well, he answers a lot of problems. He solves a lot of problems. I will agree. But a lot of bad things come along with the peace that he gives us. The good thing is God's in control. I think about Job, you know, you know, we, we were very fortunate when we read the book of Job. We read the first two chapters and we know why everything's happening to him. Job didn't understand why everything's going for him. He had a prosperity gospel. You follow God and you're going to be rich and healthy and your kids are going to be good. And all of a sudden, everything goes wrong in his life. Everything went wrong in his life. None of us have been, no matter how bad our life has been, I don't think any of us have been where everything has gone wrong in our life. Job had everything go wrong. Some of us have had lots of things go wrong with our life. Maybe even most of everything go wrong in our life. But God is still in control. The more we start following God, the more we start drawing close to him, the more we're going to look around and see God. I think mean, it's wonderful when I walk out and things, bad things happen. I'm going, okay, God, you're in control. I'm looking forward to seeing how you're going to do this. Does that mean I enjoy the bad things that happen to me? Absolutely not. I'm not, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I don't enjoy bad things in my life. But I have come to the conclusion that God is in control. God is in control. And if he's in control, I don't have to worry about what's going on. How much of our life would be solved if we stopped worrying about everything that's going on because God's in control? Yeah. I don't have to sit there and worry, okay, God, I just don't know how I'm going to fix this. I don't know how you're going to fix, fix my kids. I don't know how you're going to fix my job. I don't know how you... You know what? That's God's business to take care of. We don't need to worry about it. He says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Besides which, how much of what you worry about ever ever got changed because you worried about it. I haven't experienced very much that I had any kind of control over in the, in the future. Does that mean I don't make any plans? No, I make plans. I want to I make some plans for things, but you know what? I'm also very flexible. God can change my plans anytime he wants. And he's in control. And I'm going to leave it in his hands because he knows what he's doing. He knows what's good for me. He knows what's good for those that are around me. How many times have you gone through something bad and it wasn't good in any way, shape, or form for you, but somebody was blessed by watching you go through that with Christ? I have a friend who had breast cancer and he spent all of his time in chemo and treatments witnessing to the nurses and doctors and the other patients around him as he's taking his chemo and their stuff for three hours together in the same room. He kind of took it like Paul, chained to the soldier. I've got, I've got a captive audience for four hours. <laughs> Do we look at some of these things that way? Do we look at those kind of things when something looks bad? Paul could have said, man, I'm chained to the soldier. I can't talk to anybody and be depressed. You've got a soldier on each side, changed every four hours. Hi, I've got a new captive audience for four hours. They can't go anywhere. Have you thought about those kind of things? God wants you to open your mouth and serve him in whatever situation. How can things be turned around when you're in there? 
I've shared with you, when I go to the grocery store, I inevitably will get in the longest line to get through. It could be the shortest line, but it's going to be the longest line to get through. So if you're in a hurry, don't get, behind, don't get in line behind me. But you know, I've also had opportunities to share God with people. As I'm standing in that long line that takes forever to go through. Because they're probably not going to leave the line. You know, how are you looking at Are you willing to say, I want God to go forward. I'm going to lift God up in whatever way possible. How important is he? I want God to show up. I want him to show up today in this church. That we go out and we bring him everywhere that we go and we're going to see people get saved. We're going to see people come to Christ. He is the only way. We live God's life in front of them. We live a God that life that glorifies God in all that we do. All that we do. The shows we watch, the books we read, the, the conversations we have. Are we lifting up God or are we going against God? How much of our life is centered on what God wants us to do? Are we glorifying him in everything we do? When we speak, are we glorifying him? I'm quite often stopping people from talking about different people all the time. Because they start talking about people and they start getting negative toward people. I'm going, no, let's stop. I don't want to, <laughs> we don't want to go there. I'm not always as quick as I should be on it because it takes my brain a few moments to realize, hey, we're going in the wrong direction. But when I realize it, I will stop it and move it in another direction. Because I want to lift God up. I want to glorify God. I want people to be lifting up God and glorifying God. The challenge we have today is, are we going to serve God in this way? Is he going to be so important to us that we live to glorify him and raise him up? We're going to close in prayer, and I'm going to challenge right now, and I'm going to lead in a prayer. You can say it if you want or not, but I'm going to lead a prayer asking us to have God be our central, our central person in our life. This is a challenge. I want to see us live. But we just come before you with each person here, Lord, and I ask if they want to agree with this prayer that they will say it as well. Lord, help us have you number one in our life. Help us to live a life that glorifies you in all that we do so that you will be lifted up and that we will see people come to you and that they will be changed, that revival will start today at this moment in this church, that revival will start with us and be carried out into this, into this town and all the surrounding towns that we bring it. And Lord, that you will be lifted up. We will see a great revival from all of this. And I challenge the individuals here to agree with that prayer and ask God to help you make him first in your life and live to glorify him. If there's anybody in here who doesn't know Jesus as your Savior, it is simple. Just tell him you know that you're a sinner, that you deserve punishment and you accept that Jesus died for your sins and, and washes your sins away and makes you become one with him. And we just thank you, Lord, in all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.